So, Beth, hello. It's good hello. to be sharing this bit of time with you and uh, welcome to everyone who's uh, listening as well to our Something to Declare podcast, our first episode. This is it, live and, and on its way. Thank you very much for listening and for following us on Twitter and sharing us on Facebook and generally for your really encouraging feedback from our episode zero. Yeah, it's been good. I've enjoyed chatting to people about that. So I look forward to more and more people uh, getting in with, with what's going on. Um, but how are you? Yeah, we've um we've just been having the kind of pre-chat that we do when we're kind of setting up for this and we're saying we've just both read this uh, really fascinating article in the Times that talks about the kind of um the kind of lethargy that you're left with in this kind of post lockdown emerging into life and how much do you plan and how much do you not plan life thing that's happening and how that affects your kind of emotional state at the moment and um I I think I really identify with that not quite knowing how many how much do you how much do you start making real life plans and real in person people plans and how much do you just stick with your little world at home and um I know that's true for us we've got um a small person who's never really met the world and um I'm very aware of that and I'd love to throw him a dedication and I um I don't know can I can I plan it he hasn't even got godparents, which I appreciate. I'm not necessarily standard as Baptist, but I'm married to an Anglican and they kind of come as a package. And then we haven't even thought of, because nobody's met him, so we haven't given him any. And it's these kind of moments where you think, oh, this is this is like life that's been on hold for so long. And I, how do we start it back up again? So I think I'm, that's a big answer to how are you, isn't it? But that that's where I am, to be honest, is, is this kind of stage of how do we restart life? How do we do, how do, we do that again? I, and I don't really know my answer to that really if I'm honest how are you David it's, uh... well I read the same article in the times today and uh, resonated in in similar ways you know life is fine everyone's fit and healthy and happy enough and the sun is shining and you know we live near the sea so all these things are good um but just lacking a bit of oomph and energy mm. and as you say it feels a bit lethargic and uh, I'm not sure this is going to go down as my most productive week ever, but I've decided to lean into that and just it is what it is and the world will keep spinning and I don't need to worry about it. So I'm attempting to embrace that rather than fight against it, which is not my natural tendency. And I think um, my pastoral hat on, I think I, I really want to say that's quite important, that actually we we don't give the space to lean into the lethargy at the moment, like right now when it's happening and it, you know, and I appreciate there's so much pressure right now for, especially if you're in local pastorate, to kind of get everything up and running in in the kind of real life again, and everything's risk assessed to the hill, and it's so it's more stress. But but getting back to kind of in person, um, but if if you don't have the space to process now, where 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 is that space ever going to come? And actually, um, how's that going to affect us? And and I, I guess most people listening may be wrong here but I expect a lot of people listening to us are in church leadership of various forms and I just kind of want to say hey everybody you have permission <laughs> don't feel like you need to go running back into things and if you need like you know a month just to recalibrate like this is take it now quick <laughs> yeah absolutely I've realized I'm doing that thing that uh, when we're recording this where I'm, I'm nodding vigorously to what you're saying but that has no audio impact whatsoever so no one on the podcast will know whether I've agreed with anything you've just said but I very much do agree with everything you've just said uh, and we've had a bit of that conversation here about 
it's not going to be a big bang and suddenly everything is is back on again you know this is going to take some time we're going to need to work it out we're going to need to take our time and not only that everyone in, in our sort of church community is going to be in a slightly different space as well you know some people are going to be rushing to hug everybody on the 27th of june which is the first sunday post the restrictions if all goes well other people aren't even sure they want to get out of the house yet and everything in between giving each other space to be as we are i think is is really important yeah have you had your um, vaccine I have had my first oh. uh, vaccination. Uh, have you had any yet? No, I'm 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 in my very early thirties. I'm not going to have a vaccine for a long time. <laughs> well, I'm I'm not very old. I, I mean, I just want to stress that I'm a couple of years older than you, but not much more. Um, still in my mid thirties, not late thirties, mid thirties. Very important distinction. Um, oh, but yes, I managed to get right area. Yeah. Yeah, there are perks to having a parish nurse um, as part of your, your team, although actually it didn't come through that in the end. But uh, yeah, I was quite ill uh, for about 12 hours. I was really shivery and hot and cold and then it disappeared and I've been fine ever since. First of June, I should get my next. 12 hours of hot and cold. That sounds like it's, that's a deal worth taking really, isn't it? Yeah, I'd do it again every time. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, but this week you have... Uh, begun the second season of another podcast that you do because you're sort of the queen of, of podcasting these days and um, work with your work with jpit politics in the pulpit and we don't always use the lectionary here we use it sometimes uh so we don't necessarily click in with it also but I, i've really enjoyed listening to them anyway but uh, you started this week and you had selena stone from st Melitus on it how was that oh uh, well i mean Awesome. I I just absolutely amazing. Um, I had a bit of a, a fangirl moment. Uh, in fact, I basically run podcasts now just to have people I really want in the room to be in the room with me. Uh, <laughs> I think I really need to return to a pub. Um, but I I I think um, there are two things I would say. Is one is if you're not a lecturer at church, and obviously most Baptist churches aren't, and it's this is an ecumenical resource. That's why it's um lectionary based I don't know if you can pick up on the microphone but my husband is cheering because there's football on in the background um so apparently his team have just not been demoted out of the league oh okay so um yeah I'm hoping that he remembers I am recording and he doesn't just barge in here in about five minutes time Wick and Wanderers have had a good result tonight then clearly um by the sounds bit (laughs) yeah (laughs) So people will be able to date the recording of this yeah. <laughs> accordingly. We, um, uh, yeah. So I, what I would say about the, um, what I would really say about the, um, the podcast is to say that it's really, uh, it's it's obviously lecturing based, but it's really not only for lecturing based people. That obviously does do biblical, you know, exegesis and and the kind of conversation around what does this mean and how would you preach it. But the, the conversations are so much bigger than that. And Selena's just a classic example. She, um, I feel like she preached the gospel to me this week in a way that I really needed to hear. Uh, I I love every, I've loved every single conversation that I've been able to have on politics in the pulpit. Everybody's brought such a diverse range of views and a range of experiences and expertise. And my, the gift of this one was just, the way she talked about Jesus as well as what she said and I I loved her passion and the and the Jesus that she talked about 
you know when you're just hanging on her every word like I I want to hear more about your Jesus like tell me more about this Jesus like I want to hear more and I I you know I've this I have a lifelong faith in this Jesus but you know when somebody it's almost like a reconversion moment you know is that um wondrous grace and we I know we're going to come to an interview in, in a bit and the kingfisher imagery really like the surprise of it coming again and that for me it was the surprise of it coming again this this moment of glimpse of this is it this is the gospel this is who I am this is what I'm about this is what Jesus is and and aren't I so extraordinarily lucky to be in a relationship with him and I um yeah, so for me, it was a, a real moment. And actually, there was a point where I had to actively not cry on the on the, on the podcast because it was just a bit overcome with it and um, completely faffed the ending. Um, so I don't look at all smooth and suave <laughs> in our, um, this week's politics in the pulpit. So don't take it as whether Beth is any good at public speaking because absolutely not this time. But But it's worth listening to Selena. I would just say, if you need a bit of soul food, Go, go and tune in. It was extraordinary. And I was very grateful to be there. Superb. That's good. And so politics in the pulpit, everybody, uh, you can uh, subscribe and watch and enjoy. So do click in uh, with that. Um, you mentioned uh, about the Kingfisher there, which mm. sort of leads us neatly into our podcast for this week. And I'm really pleased that the first person we've been able to have as a guest on the podcast is none other than Jeff Colmer. And Jeff was on a list that we both wrote of people we'd love to have on the podcast. I'm really grateful that uh, he was able to give us the time uh, to do it. Um, Jeff is vice president or president elect. I don't know which we use these days. Vice president, soon to be president of the Baptist Union. Uh, is also regional minister team leader of the Central Baptist Association. Before that, he was a minister in Melton Mowbray and in Rye. And in his interview, which I was privileged to do with him a few days ago, uh, we also spoke a bit about Jeff's uh, cancer diagnosis. And he's uh, in hospital undergoing treatment as we record this tonight. But hopefully he's going to be home uh, not long after this goes out later this week. Uh, we've talked about ministry and the arts and the Enneagram and the presidency. And it's a little bit longer than the brief we'd agreed for interviews on the podcast, but I think it's all gold. So I hope as everyone listens to it, they'll appreciate uh, just uh, how much uh, good stuff there is in here. There's certainly nothing that I want to, to cut out. And full disclosure, uh, Jeff and I chat pretty regularly. Jeff is my pastoral supervisor as well. So uh, it was uh, a familiar thing for us to, to spend some time talking in that way although it's often him asking me the questions so it was nice to turn the tables a bit <laughs> but how I mean do you do you know Jeff at all have you come across Jeff other than knowing he exists in the Baptist yeah. zeitgeist yeah I've been very lucky to meet Jeff a few times and I just um I think Jeff is somebody once once met you never forget that that is very much my my read of Jeff that he he leaves an impression doesn't he and um he's sort of holy by osmosis like you just around <laughs> I like that holy by osmosis I like that yeah so um so I know I I do know Jeff and um and we've been praying very very much for him and and he's been prayed for in our um team meetings and in our um Baptist house meetings a lot um whilst he's been undergoing all of his uh treatment as well so 
yeah so we're we're looking forward to um to having him in this role and and I think it's so interesting how um his theme dovetails with this year and I know we're going to talk about that again in a bit um but I I just think um he obviously suggested it before knowing what was going to happen to him yeah and I just think uh it's it's so tellingly the right tone and uh yeah so I'm I'm very excited for for listening into this uh interview and to hearing a bit about what he's going to say um and um yeah and grateful for having people like Jeff in our union which is the whole point of this podcast isn't it that we get to declare these are the people that um that make this union what it is so Jeff is definitely one of those for me as well well in which case without further ado let's listen to our interview with Jeff Jeff, uh, hello and welcome to the Something to Declare podcast. We're really pleased to uh, interview you as part of our first season. Um, I wondered if I might begin by asking you about the last year, uh, because I suspect it's not really been what you anticipated it might have been um, a year or two um, ago and undergone uh, treatment. Um, and uh, I wonder if you might just be able to tell us uh, firstly, how you're doing, and then how have you coped with that ch- enforced change on your plans? Well, David, thank you for inviting me to be part of this podcast. Um, I've been looking forward to today and uh, to having this conversation with you. Um, the last year has been incredibly difficult for everyone. And um, uh, yeah, for me, it's had it's had another dimension to it. Um, I mean, this time last year, I was still on sabbatical. Um, I hadn't been entirely well during that time. And, um, uh, you know, I just wasn't wasn't feeling great, but I I didn't pay too much attention to it. I'd been to the doctors a couple of times. I had some sort of pains in my my ribs and it was put down to something like intercostal muscle strain or something. I thought, well, you know, okay. But I caught a virus as well and that that was a long time going. Um, I came out on my sabbatical and I got the brilliant news that I I was to be the president of the Baptist Union. at that by that point we were in lockdown, so um, you know, COVID was the reality in our lives, and we were into that first lockdown. Um, so, you know, I guess I experienced lockdown from what well, must have been, you know, this time in March last year through to April and May, um, June. In June, I got this really bad back pain. Um, I mean, really bad. And although it seemed to get a little bit better, it then got much worse. And I, I, I found this brilliant physio and she said, you know, you need to see a consultant and, and get an MRI. And so in July, I had a, an MRI scan. And I, as I left, they said, you need to go straight to A&D at the hospital. Wow. And uh, I went to the hospital and uh, I was then in hospital for six weeks. And, and, and what what transpired was that my back and my ribs were in a real mess. I had compressed multiple um, compression fractures. Um, so that sounded that sounded sort of bad enough. But then I discovered I had this um, this blood cancer myeloma. Um, so um, I, I was in hospital being treated. Um, treated for the back. Um, I was in for such a long time because I needed to have a custom made back brace built. 
and that meant being transported to another hospital in London and then being brought back, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I also began um, receiving chemotherapy. So, um, so during that six-week period, my life really changed and um, the life of my family changed as well. Um, uh, the particular cancer that I've got is incurable, um, but it is highly treatable. Um, so you ask me how I am. Actually, I'm I'm well. I'm in remission. Um, I, I've got some of the effects of the of the um, the condition. My back still gives me some some uh, some discomfort, and I've got some side effects from the chemotherapy, which are um, uh, which continue with me. Um, but but I am you know I am in, relatively speaking I'm in a in a good place, and uh, I'm about to go into hospital again um, for up to four weeks um, to have a, what's called a stem cell transplant. And um, uh, that will extend my re remission significantly. So um, uh, the stem cell transplant's a bit of a big deal. Um, uh, I'm not looking forward to it. Um, there'll be quite a long recovery afterwards. Um, but um, but as I say, it does mean that it, that it means that my future is... Um, is 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 much is much greater. So that's that's really where I am. Yeah. I think you asked me about my faith. Um, yeah. I tell you one of the things that I mean I've been really pleased that nobody's said to to me, Jeff, why has this happened to you? <laughs> because I think if they had, I'd have said, well, why not? Um, and um, in that sense, I've I've been at peace about it. I've as I say, you know, my, my world was, was changed. Um, but in all the, in all the rubbish of it, um, I've, I've, I mean, I've felt God's close presence. Um, at times that's been beautiful. It's been precious. Um, I know that that's not the case for everybody when, um, they have an experience like this. Sometimes, God can seem you know, distant and remote. They can be in a very dark place. Um, I mean, there, there has been darkness in all of this, but you know, within that, there's been there's been the the light of Christ. So, um, so in terms of my faith, my faith hasn't had a had a particular battering. Um, uh, no, I, I think I've I felt I felt hugely grateful because um amidst you know the covid pandemic um everything you know it's as though they've rolled the red carpet out in terms of my treatment you know I, we hear of people being on a long waiting list that's not been the case for me you know i mean i i need a ct scan um, in advance of my um, of my treatment and you know as soon as that's said you know the next day i get a phone call so i guess that could say something about the nature yeah. of the condition but you know there it's just that that has it has been it has been remarkable and i feel very grateful for that i feel very grateful for the way that friends and uh, and family have 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 been there for me during this and and in that you know i've i've experienced the presence of god and the love of god as well so um, the staff at the hospital were just superb as as were the chaplains so um you know enormous gratitude that's uh, quite remarkable and a real blessing to have that um, amidst all the challenges of, 
of the past year. Mm. Um, you mentioned there about sort of at the beginning of that time that mm. it was announced that you would become president of uh, the Baptist Union. So I guess at the moment, does that make you president-elect? Is that the language we use? Yeah, so the yeah. vice president, vice, vice president. president, yeah. president elect. Um, either way, it feels like you need a, a badge or a seal on the front <laughs> of uh, your desk in some way. I, I could do without that thing, but anyway. <laughs> um, one of the things that seems to have happened over recent years um, is, is that people nominated for the presidency have sort of been encouraged to share their thoughts about a theme uh, as part of the, the nomination process. Um, might you be able to share with us a bit about your theme for your year? Yeah, of course. Um, I, the theme that, that I came upon early on was attentive to rhythms of grace. Um, and uh, that wasn't something I just plucked out of the air. Um, I, you know, it, it's, it's been... It's been an aspect, I think, of my my ministry um, throughout the years. Uh, when my faith was reawakened, uh, I was living in Leeds. I was a professional musician playing in an orchestra, and I I, I started to go to church again. I I went to a church which um, uh, in North Leeds, Moortown Baptist Church, which was uh, uh, which was uh, I describe it as a gently and thinking, uh, charismatic church, <laughs> um, and I think that was one of the things that that made a huge impact upon me because um, part of that process was this sort of fresh encounter um, with God. Um, but you know, at the same time, as I started to um, to explore my reawakened faith. Um, I think I inadvertently hit upon the contemplative as well. I, I've, I've always thought that the two are, are very close together. I mean, when you think about people like Julian of Norwich, I mean, what was she if she wasn't a charismatic? Yes. And, you know, Teresa of Avila, you know, these, these, uh, these contemplative figures, they were people who were, were you know, were hugely um, open and available to God's spirit. So, um, but around that time, there was a book called Celebration of Discipline, um, which made a made a big impression upon me. Um, and uh, uh, so, so those two dimensions, the charismatic and the contemplative, which were you know, which were really about encounter with God and God being a reality. They, they, those were those were, um, were were as I say, very important. Um, and I, I, I think I've carried those through through ministry. I mean, I you know, do I would I describe myself as a charismatic? Now, I'd be quite I'd be quite hesitant in some ways because I okay. I I don't sit naturally with what I would call charismatic culture. But in terms of theology and spirituality, I would say I am. Okay. Um, but I think I would more openly identify as a as a contemplative. Um, it's maybe because of my personality as well. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but throughout ministry, um, I remember early on thinking, if I, you know, if if how how can I summarise what I want to be as a minister? And I think I picked up on something that Eugene Peterson said. And I, you know, I guess I've made this the thing. You know, I, I've always wanted to be attentive to God, mm -hmm. and as a pastor, I've wanted to help the people uh, in in the church that I pastor to be attentive to God. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, we're not um, uh, engaged in mission and ministry and all the other side of sides of, of I mean, those things are, are you know, 
hugely important but it, but it it's coming at those from that position of attentiveness so um this this um this phrase attentive to rhythms of grace um it, it sort of grew out of that um i mean the thing that's quite interesting for me is i i wouldn't have have known uh, this at the time but of course that's something that's been a, uh, the challenge for me during this year because i didn't expect i was going to need to be attentive to rhythms of grace in the experience of COVID-19 and also in my in my illness um, and that's brought another dimension to it but uh, as I say it's uh, the, the the theme expresses what I've longed for in life and in ministry it's a long answer I hope that's all right no it's wonderful um I can see behind you uh, today a kingfisher uh, yeah not an actual kingfisher I'm assuming no. um and and a kingfisher uh, is something you spoke about in your sort of presidential nomination video. That's right. What's the significance of the Kingfisher? Well, it it was in 2015. And uh, uh, the beginning of that year, as I was looking at the year ahead, I really wanted to see a Kingfisher. I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm sort of interested in bird watching, but not in a... <laughs> Not in a, not in an obsessive way. I, I can do obsessiveness, <laughs> but but not 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 when it comes to bird watching. Um, but I, I really wanted to see one, and I, I even thought of going to the Buckinghamshire Bird Society and saying, "Tell me where I could go to see a, a kingfisher." So I think I think it was on the second day of 2015. Kaz, my wife, and I we were walking along um, the the brook in the park that's right beside our house, and uh, I saw this this um, bird. Uh, the only word that I can use to describe it is throttling towards me. I mean, it really was, it really was going. And as, as I turned, as it passed me and I turned around, um, I, I caught this sort of fluorescent blue and orange. And it, it was just like that, that poem by Gerard Manley Hopkins when, uh, when he says, as kingfishers catch fire. Oh, yes. Said, That's a kingfisher. And I said, where, where, where? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the next day, would you believe it? We were we were coming down the same part of the brook, and we both saw it. Um, oh, wonderful! And uh, it, uh, the thing about it is, is that it, it it really has changed the way I walk in the parkland, mm -hmm. um, because I'm always looking out for the kingfisher. It's made me attentive in a way that I hadn't been before, um, and and I. I found that to be a really uh, helpful and, and lovely picture of um, of being attentive to rhythms of grace. I'm being attentive to the Kingfisher, but that's what I want to do in all of life and ministry, to be, you know, on the lookout uh, for the Kingfisher. And the th I, I guess the thing about it is, is that although I've seen the Kingfisher many times since, I mean, a few, few weeks ago, we walked into the parkland and in view of the house, sitting on a branch was a kingfisher and then it flew off and we saw it sort of uh, go the the length of, of the small length of the brook that was was uncovered every time it happens it's a surprise uh, and every time it happens you know there's that sense of this being a, a moment of grace i i don't think i've ever seen one live uh, in the flesh so i i'll uh, hope to, to rectify well that. i hope you do because it really is yeah. something yeah um can I ask you a question about being president? Uh, yeah. Is being president something that you'd ever thought of before being nominated? I mean, I know there's the official process, um, yes. but what's what's the reality like? Are you kind of semi-aware that this might be about no. to happen? Or? No, no, not at all. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I really, really didn't um, think that this was something I'd do. 
Um, I think the only reason I, I took it seriously was because a, a close friend um, phoned me. I, I was on the way back from visiting my mum and he said, you know, I've, what do you think about this? And it, it, I mean, in one sense, it felt like a bit of a, a, bit of a stupid idea, really. Um, but I thought about it and um, uh, and then I, I began a process of discernment. I, um, I took it to my spiritual director. Um, who is a Jesuit. So, um, you know, they take discernment really quite seriously. And we, we went through a process together and um, I came to a position where I thought, yes, I'll, um, I'll allow myself to be nominated. I think the challenge was just to, to, to enter it and to all the time hold it lightly. Um, yes. yes. And, and, and I think I did. I mean, you know, I, 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 I thought if it doesn't happen, then I would have invested a lot of time and energy into it. But if it doesn't happen, it's okay. Mm. It really is okay. Um, so in that sense, um, you know, it wasn't something that I thought about. I think I got a bit excited about it when I started thinking about the theme and how it related to um, my experience of life and ministry. Um, but the challenge throughout was to um, uh, Ignatius, I'll, I'll talk about that later, but um, uh, Ignatius of St. Loyola, um, not a Baptist, <laughs> um, he he talks about uh, being indifferent. And that word is sort of, can easily be un misunderstood, but it's about sort of, so it is about holding it lightly and holding things in balance. So, um, yeah. Now obviously, the pandemic restrictions will be going on at the very least into the mm. first part of your presidential year. Um, and I'm assuming that your plans may be altered somewhat by uh, the hospitalization and the treatment that you've had as well. But uh, what are what are some of your hopes for the, the year? Okay. Well, I mean, I think the reality is that it, it will be a slow start because um, I, you know, I hope to be back at work before the end of the three month or the su suggested three month recovery, but it is going to be, it is going to be, um, it's going to be slow. And I, you know, I'm not going to be working at, um, at full capacity. And I think that that fatigue could well be a continued um, aspect of this. Um, but, but I mean, my first hope is to be well enough and mo mobile enough to actually engage with, um, with uh, people and, and with churches. Um, I, I think the, the context of the pandemic for all of us will be that there will be this pressure um, to rush back into things. Um, and, and maybe even um, especially so for, for us as Baptists. I mean, we, you know, we can be very activist and, and even driven. And that, that pressure to rush back um, will be will be huge. So um, I guess one of my hopes is that um, that that my theme might impact um, uh, in that 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 people will will see the need to be attentive because they will need time to recover. Um, and also um, that that attentiveness will give us an opportunity to discern who we are and what we do in the light of all of this. So I guess that's a sort of, that's a that's maybe a, a, a much bigger hope than just, you know, I hope to be doing this, that and the other. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, I think, I mean, I've got, I've got some, I've got a few dates um, and I've got a, a number of invitations. I, I think generally I'm, I'm, I've just got to be open um, as to how the year is going to pan out um, because we don't know what the year is going to be like. I mean, that's the reality. Um, uh, I think at the moment there's, um, there's a, there's, you know, sort of great expectation. We're just about to come out of lockdown. Yes. Um, I guess we'll go into a sort of honeymoon period where everything's wonderful, coinciding with Easter and yeah, yeah. Spring. But um, I, you know, when we're not out of this yet, so so I think the year ahead um, could have a huge amount of uncertainty in it, and uh, so I want to be open within that uncertainty and attentive, and just see how things um, things work out. I hope that's uh, that's not too um, too too sort of woolly and. <laughs> no, no, no. I, it strikes me that the idea of being attentive to rhythms of grace uh, might feel incredibly apt for the year we're about to go into, mm. um, and the timing might um, come together with what's happening. I'm, I'm hoping so. I mean, in a wonderful way. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I would hope so, and I hope that it, it'll be something that we can um, that we'll have will be that we'll have some reach about it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Now you mentioned a bit earlier about being a professional musician before uh, you came into uh, ordained ministry. Um, is there any element of that, any part of being a professional musician and the, the ways of thinking and being that come with that, that you think you've brought with you into ministry? Right. Yeah. I mean, I... I am still a musician. <laughs> um, I'm not as good a musician as I used to be. Um, uh, I, I was reflecting that, you know, for the first sort of two or three years when I came out of the music profession, I could, I could get my bassoon out the case without any sort of anxiety and just sort of, you know, do it. It's not like that now. If I'm to play now, um, you know, I, I have to, you know, adopt quite a sort of, you know, a, a structured regimen in order to get back into practice. And I, I'm not actually sure whether I am going to be able to play again. That's one of those things that um, the jury is out on. But um, uh, I, I I think that, that it, it's more than a, about being able to play the bassoon. I mean, you know, that is that that was so much part of my life. Um, and it's continued to be. Uh, I, I think it, it seems... Sometimes I can't believe that it was 40 years ago um, because it seems in some ways such a short um, short time ago. And, and I guess that's also because I have quite a lot of contact, well, I have some contact with friends from the music profession still, and that's you know, it's a part of my life. I, I consider it to, to have been a huge privilege to have had two vocations, you know, one as a musician and one, one as a minister. So... Um, so that is, I, that is a that is a big part of of my life. Um, uh, I've not had a huge amount of involvement in music within the church, and beyond the first few years, I when I was at Spurgeon's, I did did do do a lot. Um, uh, I I became involved in training church musicians alongside Dave Peacock, who um, was at uh, Upton Vale at that time and was involved in our our assemblies and um, at the Baptist World Youth Congress in um, in 19, um, 1988 um, I I uh, 
uh, I put together an orchestra for that. So um, we had an orchestra of, I think, about 55 um, young musicians, um, all who were grade eight plus. Um, all of them had a, had were mic'd up and we led worship for 11,000 uh, young people uh, alongside Graham Kendrick and his band. So that was that was brilliant. Um, I, when I was at Spurgeon's, I led an evening class called Music for Today's Church. And that continued a bit into my first ministry. But then that tailed off. And, and as for involvement, actually, in the local church, I've always I've always found it helpful to keep a bit of a distance. Okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, but but there is something I think about. I think I think musically, um, uh, the idea of music not being part of my life. Um, I mean that that would be that would be terrible. Um, you know, I, I still I, I mean I still listen to music a huge amount and. And when I say listen to it, it's not just background music. I listen to it and and I and reflect on it. I want, it seems to me that a number of, of churches, actually the arts provide them with a really interesting way mm. of engaging with people outside the church. Yeah. And there's often a very sort of fertile ground um, with music and art and, and drama. Mm. Uh, I mean, I mean, to that, I mean, I did my fair share of hideous drama uh, sketches in church. Uh, I got, I've got half a drama degree, so I guess that was where some of that came from. But um, it seems to me it's, it's not something every church does, but it does seem to me there's a lot of opportunity there, and that the way in which music and art—I mean, it'd be more music for me. I confess, I'm not a very sophisticated art lover. Um, but it, it has the capacity to connect with the depth of your spirit in a way that um, few other things can. I mean, I, I think so. Um, one of the things I tried as a regional minister was I, I, thought it, I thought, I can't do this in the local church, but I wonder if within an association of 150 churches, there might be enough interest. I, I, so I, I, I launched a uh, uh, it was meant to be a series called Faith Engaging with the Arts. And I have to say, it it, it, it didn't happen really. Okay. Did about two or three of them, but we got a maximum of about 15 people attend each event. And many of those were people who were directly sort of related to us. Right, so yes. it, it, was, it, it bombed, okay? Yeah. Uh, but behind it was exactly what you're saying. Um, and it, it wasn't just about using the arts, um, mm. you know, as a sort of, you know, as you say, doing drama in church. I mean, I've got no, no problem with that as long as it's done well. Um, um, but, but um, you know, it was how, how the arts might um, speak for themselves and in the process um, become a window onto God. I mean, one of my favourite yes. quotes is by, is by Jeremy Begbie, who's um, a theologian and also a musician, and he says, so much music is rife with rumours of God. Oh, uh, I like that. And I love that. I think that's, that's, that's so, so good. Um, uh, and for me, um, I think music is, is a way of being attentive to God. And I, I think it was, um, it was Paul Tillich. I mean, and I'm, I need to sort of confess that I, I am not, you know, I, 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 
I don't know great, I mean, I know a bit about the theology of Paul Tillich, but I'd hate to give the impression I'd read all of his tones. Nothing like it, okay? <laughs> um, but I did pick up this idea that he he associates any experience of depth with God. And right. when I read that, I thought, ah, that's what happens when I listen to music. You know, I have a depth experience and I and I, I guess I want to call that God. And I think that for me, that also happens when I look at um, uh, look at a painting. Um, uh, and it happens also through, um, you know, through theatre. I'm not a great theatre goer, but I do enjoy films. And it certainly happens in literature as well. But but music and art for me, especially, you know, those are windows onto God. Yeah. Um, there's a great quote by um, by um, somebody called Michael May, um, and if I can uh, if I can find it, it's um, uh, uh, he 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 says um, he says now where is it? He says this. He's talking about Mozart's clarinet concerto, and he says to listen to the adagio of the Mozart clarinet concerto, for example, is to perceive something wholly other the sound of an infinite which transcends us and for which beauty is no description. To describe such experience and revelation of transcendence, religious language still needs the word God. Um, now, that might not, you know, Mozart's clarinet concerto might not do it for you, um, but other pieces of music will, and it's that, 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 that sort of uh, that sense. So I, uh, I've had some very profound spiritual experiences listening to music. Um, and I, I didn't grow up in a house where we had a lot of classical music either. So uh, not all of those uh, experiences would uh, happen in that setting. But I do remember the first time I heard a piece of Berlioz uh, music and it, I just had an experience that I'd never had before and uh, just the most wonderful thing. And uh, so I'm, I'm gradually learning more and, and growing in that. But I do think, you know, I mean, please hear me. I mean, this is my, this is my musical world, but I think it can happen in anybody's musical world. Yeah. So I'm not being, I'm not being um, elitist here or high end art. I mean, you know, that's just the music that, you know, I, I happen to, to um, end up with. Um. So after being a professional musician, um, you heard the call into uh, ministry. Uh, why Baptist ministry? What makes you a Baptist? And Beth and I spoke about uh, how the fact that we kind of both ended up in, in Baptist churches, firstly, because we were loved by people in Baptist churches mm. who looked after us and and we kind of developed our theology after finding our home in them. But uh, well, was that the same for you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I grew up in a Baptist church. Um, you know, well, I think one of my first memories was sitting in the balcony of Barking Baptist Tabernacle. Uh, I mean, I remember looking down at the organ as a small child and thinking the heaven was behind the organ pipes and Uncle Bob, who just died, had gone there. You know, that's where okay. Uncle Bob was. So you'll be pleased to know that my my uh, theology of heaven's changed a bit since then. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, that, that's an early memory, sitting with my parents. Yeah. In that place. We then moved to another Baptist church, which was more of an FIEC church. Um, and... That's where I, I guess, I came to faith, and and then um, uh, God ceased to be, um, in my experience, um, ceased to be a part of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and then, when I started thinking uh, and reflecting again about uh, about faith, um, you know, I, I fetched up a, a Baptist church and had to be 
um, a church which, uh, you know, to use your experience, was very, very welcoming and um, and accepting. And um, so my sort of, my theology came into line a little later. I, you know, I guess if I'd gone to an Angli Anglican church, um, you know, probably, possibly, probably I would have ended up as an Anglican. Yeah. So, um, but I, but I, just to reassure you that I am a convinced Baptist. <laughs> um, but I think that that's, you know, having sat on um, um, ministerial recognition committees for, for too many years uh, and people who are exploring ministry, I, you know, I think that's the case for probably most of them. You know, when you say, why be a Baptist? Um, you know, from, well, it's about bat believers baptism, and uh, uh, for me, that's interesting. That's one of the things I could probably just about just about drop. I mean, I, I wouldn't choose to, but mm. you know, if, if push came to shove, um, I'm you know, I, I get other forms of baptism, um, but uh, I am. I mean, I you know, I am convinced in that sense, but you know. There are other aspects of being a Baptist that I would sort of you know, hold on to for, for dear life. Yeah. Um, so having trained and you had then at two uh, pastorates, if I remember this right, it's Rye and then Melton Mowbray. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. And then into regional ministry in what's mm. now the, the Central Baptist Association. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a, a fair chunk of, of time, uh, a good number of years very conscious of the fact that I left college 15 years ago and a reasonable number of the people I trained with aren't doing this anymore already. Um, how have you sustained ministry over that time? I think without knowing what it was called, I've, I've uh, engaged in CMD, <laughs> continuing ministerial development. Um, um, and I've done that by pursuing particular interests. So when I was at Rye, I was there for five years. After three years, I started a course in counselling. And I did that for two years. And, um, you know, the course and the reading around it and the experience, um, I found that, um, I found that you know, very energising. Um, I mean, it came about, I, I think one week I met with three couples whose marriages were in crisis. Uh, crisis and I thought... Uh, I'm just not sure I'm able to cope with this. I'm not sure how I can best help them. And that was, you know, this I'd, I'd done a foundation course when I was at Spurgeon, so it just prompted me to say, right, I'm going to do some some more in this area. So that happened there. When I when I moved to Melton, I was invited to be a, a, a trainer at St John's Nottingham on their extension studies, a pastoral counselling diploma. So so that gave another focus. Um, uh, I think there another interest of mine was theology and the arts. I mean, I've spoken about that a bit already. Um, when I came into regional ministry, um, I, I did some training as a mediator. That was quite useful, but I became particularly interested in the theory behind that, which was family systems theory. And so I did some training in that. And that's that's been another interest, something that served me really, really well. I mean, I think in relation to regional ministry, to have an understanding of congregations as family systems um, is, is very helpful and, and useful. Um, 
you know, the the contemplative journey has been with me throughout my ministry. It was with me when I was at Spurgeon's. I went to Teze. I mean, at that time, that was like a radical thing to do. <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody got that. In my sermon class, we actually sang a Teze chant. We sang in Latin. How about that? And that what at your suggestion? Yeah, no, yeah. Well, no, I did oh, it. I chose it. We sang Adoramus Te Domine. So, right. I mean, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, groundbreaking. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> And uh, so, you know, and even at that time, I, 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 took, I, I took quiet days because quiet days at Spurgeon's were anything but quiet. Mm. Um, uh, so so uh, spirituality has always been a thread. And, and as I say, that sort of bent towards the more contemplative. So um, the order for Baptist ministry was one of those things that, that became, has become, when well, it became quite, um, quite a focus. Um, I then uh, un- underwent the um, the Ignatian spiritual exercises, and and for me, I described that as like another conversion. Um, that was that was hugely significant. And then more recently, uh, you know, I've had an interest in the Enneagram. Um, uh, yes, I so ask about um, that. Yeah. you know, that's so these sort of things uh, have been. They've never been the main event. I mean. But they've all they've been around and 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 they've brought energy and life and I think without them um, I would have I would have found ministry very dry and I think another thing that's been important is you know I've I've read a lot especially in the area of spirituality that probably the key thing above all is is a group of friends um, four of us. Um, and we've met regularly and with those friends I've you know shared joys and sorrows you know we've laughed and we've cried together and I think without them ministry would have been a very different experience Um, and actually those four friends were the basis of the order for Baptist ministry yes so that that grew out of that friendship of four people Um, and the order for Baptist ministry. I mean, it, it is about, in part, it's about helping people to sustain sustain spiritual life within ministry. So, um, you know, we were we, we were coming out of our own experience. So those those three things. So it's about you know sort of having interests outside. It's been about reading, and it's about that sort of small group. How do you think things have have changed in ministry? I mean, inevitably things change because presses change and worlds change and each church is different as well. I do understand that. But uh, what sort of things do you notice now that you would perceive as being different from when you started? They could be good or, or bad. Yeah, I think I think there's a mixture. I mean, I, I think one of the things that um, you know has, has been, um, I mean, I've mentioned CMD. I mean, just to go before that, um, when I left Spurgeon's College, I, I had a senior friend. That's the way it worked. You know, you had a senior friend and you had a list of 16 books that you had to read. And um, and I think there were a couple of projects, you know, a smaller one and a larger one. Um, but, um, you know, the mentoring process, I think, has been um, a very significant development. Um, and... Uh, you know, I was I was the first tranche of people who um, who were trained as as mentors. Um, I mean, I could see immediately how that was significantly different from what had gone before. I mean, the senior friend arrangement it worked well in some instances and not well in others. 
it was much more casual. Whereas the mentoring system with this structure and learning contracts and, and that sort of thing, I mean, it's been refined over the years and probably will continue to be refined. Um, but I, I think that that's been a really good development. And I think there are statistics to show that it's helped in terms of people remaining in, in ministry. Um, I think CMD, that's something that's that's recently come together. I mean, I think in the past, there were those of us who did CMD, whether we knew we were doing it or not, yes. um, uh, and those who definitely didn't. Um, but I think the encouragement uh, for that is is a is a change, very very much a change for good. I'm, I'm on the gender justice group, and although you know we feel that we've got still got a way to go, actually we've come a long way as well. I mean, when I was at Spurgeon's, there was one woman in my very large batch. Um, in our group of newly accredited ministers in the CBO, we've often had more women than men. So, I mean, that's a that's a hugely encouraging change. I think justice issues. Um, I mean, they've come far more to the fore. I mean, we've got three three justice groups. We've got um, racial, um, gender, and um, and disability. And although, again, although there's much work to be done. Um, you know, it's, it's different from how things were. I'm not saying that those issues were not addressed in the past, but uh, I think I think we've engaged with them more fully. Um, so those are those are some things that have changed. I think in relation to the Baptist Union, I mean, there's been enormous change, especially. I mean, I've seen that over the last 18 years. I mean, when I when I uh, used to go to Baptist House, um, I mean, that was an occasion for wearing a suit and a tie. Oh wow! Okay. So you know it, it, that's you know that's definitely. I, I still wish I still wish we wore suits and ties, but that's my peculiarity. Um, uh, I like ties, um, but um, uh, you know that's one of the changes. Of course, did cause change because mm. um, when I first went there, you know we had you know, three floors, both sides with BMS was absolutely buzzing. Whereas, of course, it's because of change in structure. And that's 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 greatly diminished, and and that change in structure has inevitably affected um, uh, aff- affected the whole makeup of the union uh, mm-hmm. council. We've just you and I have just been at uh, Baptist Union Council on Zoom. Um, council is is has has changed. It's become much smaller. It's become more focused, um, and and so you know that's another area of of our life. Uh, I mean these. Many of these things have been due to necessity, um, and I guess it'll only be history that will tell if they've if they've been if they've been good or not. Um, so, so those um, those are some of the changes. I think in the local church, one of one of the biggest changes has been um, the increase in in churches needing to manage issues such as safeguarding and health and safety. I think I think to become an, a deacon uh, or a trustee, I mean, or or indeed a trustee. We didn't, we didn't call them trustees oh. so long ago. I mean, the responsibilities of trustees are enormous, and I think that brings a big burden. Um, now they're essential, but all of them carry you know a massive amount of administration. I I think over the years, you know, it's easy to hear. Um, Maybe my generation and older generations say, you know, people aren't committed like they used to be. Um, I I don't believe that, but I do think there's been a change in commitment just because people find themselves with numerous commitments in a way that they didn't used to. Um, 
I mean, I think of my parents, you know, church was all they did apart from work. They didn't, they certainly didn't have to take me to sporting events, but um, that would have never happened. <laughs> anyway. um, but, but, you know, it, it wasn't the sort of, you know, life just wasn't like that, you know, I mean, basically as a family, you know, we did family, we did school, we did work, we did church, you know, that, that was it. And my parents and, and many other people in church probably were out several times a week in the evening. Mm. Well, that's, that's just, you, you can debate whether that's right anyway. Um, but, you know, that just doesn't happen. You know? So so um, I think it's going to become increasingly difficult to find people to become responsible for you know, all the different aspects of church life. Um, uh, and I, I, I think that as I've, I mean, I, you know, I get, I've met with a lot of diaconates and elderships and leadership teams. I sense that, that those are, have become maybe more managerial. Maybe trusteeship hasn't, hasn't helped in that sense, but um, uh, I think people who come from, you know, an experience of management in the workplace and often bring that to church life. And while there are very good things from that, that can be um, that can be uh, embraced. Um, you know, the church is not a business. Um, no. yeah, the church is a family. And, I, you know, I, I think that I, I pick up some tensions and even some conflicts in that area. I mean, those are some of the things. Yeah. yeah. And we've got two questions that we ask, can ask everyone who's part of the, the podcast. Um, uh, but before... I get to those. I would like to ask you a bit about the, the Enneagram. You mentioned that a few moments yep. ago. Now, um, to folks who are listening who are engaged with the Enneagram, it's probably good to confess at the beginning that, that we share an Enneagram number. So perhaps you our did. understandings are yeah. uh, uh, reasonably similar. But how did you come across the Enneagram? How did you discover it? Um, I, I think it, it happened probably through an author called called Richard Raw, who also sends out a sort of daily daily mail and um, uh, he's a he's a, um, a Franciscan priest um, very good communicator and teacher I think it was through him through reading him and hearing him um, interestingly the Enneagram came uh, in terms of its its history it, it, it came in more prominently into the church through um, through the Jesuits, and so if you if you have any connection with a you know an Ignatian spirituality centre, um, often they will offer um, uh, enneagram workshops as as part of their program. Oh, right. So uh, we, and that doesn't that doesn't altogether surprise me. So I, I I I was familiar with it. I'd sort of dabbled, and then a book came out, "The Road Back to You" by Ian Morgan Cron, mm-hmm. and I'd read a a couple of brilliant books by him one chasing francis which is yes about francis brilliant, brilliant spirituality i read i've actually read that a number of times and bought too many copies for other people mm. um and another book called um uh, i think it's called jesus my father the cia and me a memoir of sorts uh, he's a, he's a, a really beautiful writer um so i heard about him and 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 i'd really enjoyed those books and so i read this book the road back to you which he wrote with suzanne stabile uh, and alongside the book, he launched a podcast, and the podcast was brilliant because he interviewed people um, of different numbers. I mean, without you know, sort of going into a whole enneagram thing, there are nine numbers on the enneagram. I think I think the best way of describing the enneagram is to say, and this is Ian Morgan's description: it's full of wisdom for people who want to get out of their own way 
and become who they were created to be. And for me, the the Enneagram has has helped me to to understand the lens through which I see the world and the lens through which other people see the world. So that's that's the gift of it. I mean, the disclaimer is, and and he quotes somebody called George Box, um, who was an English mathematician, apparently, who said, all models are wrong, but some are useful. Yes, yes. Uh, and I think that's a really helpful way of going into it because I'm I would never say that the Enneagram is the be all and end all for you know for spirituality and life and all of that. You know, not at all. Um, but it's a helpful model and it's worked for me because um, you know, it's given me this lens. Uh, I I've really benefited from Myers Briggs. And um, I think what I observe with Myers Briggs is often people do Myers Briggs and then they get their number, their um, their type, and that's it. End of story. And I think you know, for Myers Briggs to really work is that you've got to work with it. You've got to look at you know the shadow side of your number and and use it as a tool in that way as a as a development tool. But I don't think people do that. I think with the Enneagram, you know, it really does offer a way of of continuing to to reflect and. Um, and, and as uh, Ian Cron says, to get out of your own way uh, and become who you're created to be. So, um, so you know, I, I've uh, I've become quite enthusiastic about it, and um, you know, it's, it's been a it's been a it's been a good journey so far. It's really helped us here. I mean, a lot of our our team who have uh, read the the book, uh, Suzanne Stabile and Ian Morgan Cron, and what it's done is given us shared language as well to describe. Yeah why some of us feel like this when it happens and others yeah. of us approach it like this. And, oh, okay. So there, if someone sort of identifies as a, one of the numbers, it's okay. Oh, okay. I understand now that this is why yeah. that's helpful for you. And, and mm. I certainly found it's kind of given me language to understand myself yes. in, in a way that I hadn't before. Um, I think if we, if we have such a thing, you're probably as close as the Baptist movement has to uh, an Enneagram guru in these days. I know that uh, we've got some great people working on it, but I think it's become one of the things that if people think, oh, we need someone to talk about this. I think your name would appear on on that list. Um, I know you've had opportunities to share about it in a couple of different contexts. How have you, how's that been? Um, I, I, I mean, that's been, it's been really good. I mean, I, uh, you know, I remember a really good day that I, I, um, I spent with you um, in Shrewsbury Ness with a group of Baptist ministers from your area. Um, and uh, uh, I've, within my own association, I think, I think we've had probably about 50 people who've come to um, maybe not quite as many as that. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but you know, we've I've had uh, well over, well over a year ago, um, probably three, I've, I've had three days and we've had 15 people attend each each occasion um and i always sort of expect people to be uh, you know really skeptical um and and folk do come with their questions i mean that's only right but i think most people have gone away sort of thinking well this this is this is really interesting and i'm going to to think about it a bit more and i know that many of those people have um uh, and uh, you know, in, in that sense, I think it's been. Um, I did some stuff with IMC, which um, which was fun. Um, I've done some stuff with Regents and Bristol. Um, I think, by and large, it works better if people buy into it than if I'm invited into a situation to speak to people who you know know nothing about it and are indifferent. Um, but uh, no, I think it's worked well. You say I'm the sort of guru. I, I mean, I, I I do think there are some other people around who are very good. Jane Day is, yes. I mean, she 
she's a trained um, uh, Enneagram person, and uh, um, and uh, she she is, you know, I mean, she's very conversant with this, and I know that she's doing some stuff um, uh, with some groups. And um, uh, Mike ah, Parker, Mike, Mike Parker. I mean, Mike is just coming to the end of his uh, his training to become an accredited um, mm. Enneagram person. So, you know, really, I, I would put Mike and and Jane as 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 gurus on this. Okay, I, I'm I'm an I'm an enthusiast, and uh, and I'm I've consciously decided not to um, to train in this area to become accredited because um, I want. <laughs> you know i've got i've got slightly obsessive tendencies <laughs> and that also fits in with the particular number i am so I, some things i just need to i need to rein in a bit mm. um and um and so i'm not going that route but but i am a person who's keen to you know to you know promote it where there's an interest yeah so our, fi our final two questions are questions that everybody who comes on the podcast is going to be asked. Um, when we did these asking each other, Beth gave articulate, thoughtful responses, and I made a bit of a hash of it. So I I'm really hoping to learn from everybody else. But um, the first question is, if you had one thing to declare to the union, what would it be? Yeah, you see, <laughs> these are the hard questions. Yeah, <laughs> they are hard. I've, I really wish I had a sound bite, you know, that I could go bang and you go wow, and um, you just just to say this is not going to happen. Okay, okay. Um, so it's a little bit of a sort of waffly answer, but I hope that there might be something in it. It, it, it seems to me that as Baptists, we are by nature activists. And uh, and that can result in being success driven, and uh, and even fad driven. Um, now there is a strength to that, and in saying that, I'm not saying you know we should we should all of us should cease being activists. Part of this is a personality thing, but I think that it, overall there is an activism about us. We're 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 we're, we're doers. Um, so although it can be a strength, it can be a weakness as well and I th I think that's why I I come in with this attentive to rhythms of grace thing because I think that 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 addresses that I I guess I could stop there I, I also tentatively um, suggest that although we talk about discernment whether it's in our churches or our structures you know, we talk about it as being of prime importance it's part of our vocabularies it's our language um, I think the reality is that discernment is a difficult process and actually we're not always that good at it. So okay. it, will that, will that do? Yes. Yes. Very much so. Um, um, I, you know, uh, yeah, I'll leave it there. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so the second question is if you think Baptists have one thing to declare to the world, yeah. what would it be? Well, this is, <laughs> this is equally hard. Um, I'm a, I'm a committed ecumenist. Um, in my experience in in local churches, I, I mean, it, I, I I I was I, in many respects I was spoiled because both in Rye and Melton Mowbray we had great churches together groups which which did more than just pray occasionally together. You know, during the week of prayer for Christian unity, um, uh, and and we had deep relationships. 
Um, and as a regional minister, I've I've had the privilege of working um, alongside other senior church leaders over the last 18 years. I think the fact is I've never found myself wishing that I was in another denomination. Okay. Um, there, 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 there were moments, I think, early on in ministry when, when I wondered whether I was in the wrong boat and maybe I should have been an Anglican after all. Um, but, but that didn't last for long. You know, I've, I've not seriously um, wished that I was in another denomination. Um, I think in, in our working together, both in the local church and also with, with senior church leaders, most of the tensions are around um, what I would call a top-down or centrally operated approach. Uh, and for us, I think our genius is that we come with a bottom-up approach as Baptists. So the nearest I can get to uh, a soundbite is saying, you know, that the local church is wholly the church, um, but is not the whole church. Do you get that? do i think um, that's wonderful you know, it's wholly the church and i and i think that 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 ties in with our um our you know the first part of our declaration of principle you know where you know our lord and savior jesus christ god manifest in the flesh is the sole and absolute authority in all matters pertaining to faith and practice as revealed in the holy scriptures and that each church has liberty under the guidance of the holy spirit to interpret and administer his laws i think that's the one thing that we um, we have to declare to the world. So, you know, the local church is wholly the church, um, but it's not the whole church. Amen. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for your time uh, today and for sharing with us. Um, really, really grateful. Uh, I look forward to catching up with you soon. Well, thank you. It's, it's been very enjoyable. So, Beth, uh, what do you make of that? What strikes you from uh, the chat we've had with Jeff? Yeah, so my overwhelming question, um, which is quite a self-absorbed one, having listened to it, is how do you become as holy as Jeff is? <laughs> how, is how does that happen? How do, how do you make that happen? How, how do I be that in 30 years' time? I, you know, is, is, the, is it just me? But I just, I mean, I joked about holy by osmosis earlier, but I think this is, um, this is the thing, right? That he, he took the way he talks again. It's like the thing I was saying about Selena. It's the way he talks as well as what he says, his way of holding things together in a particular way. And I, mm. I'm just struck by that. I'm really struck by his genuine humility and um, graciousness in the way he talks about things that are incredibly complex and difficult. And I just want to, yeah, what, what is the secret? How, how do you do it? Um, yeah, that, so that's my, my overwhelming kind of first instinctive uh, big underlined note that I had when I was listening to it. I really resonated with what you said earlier about the tone with which Jeff engages and speaks. And, and I think listening to the interview and being part of it, that was one of the things that comes across as being such a blessing. Um, it reminded me of something that, that I've 
Rowan Williams said, um, I don't just happen to know that, uh, by the way, my, my knowledge of Rowan Williams is not bad, but it's not encyclopedic, <laughs> you know. Uh, I, when, I, when I hear some of these, I've got a book full of quotes for when I hear these sorts of things, but he, he said that we have a dangerous blurring of the leader and the celebrity in our global culture. People don't always think leadership is being exercised unless noise is being made, and I think they're wrong. And I think Jeff is a wonderful example of being able to lead uh, clearly, wisely, whilst uh, being able to be humble and, and not noisy uh, in all the bad ways that so often leadership seems to get caught up as being. And that, that struck me listening to the interview. Which is, is so interesting because of his love of music, isn't it? So actually, he's somebody who pays deep attention to noise and, and, and how it works and how it makes us feel and how it invites us into spirituality and how it invites us into heaven. You know, I think um, I think that was one of the things that really, um, you know, in his rhythms of grace, it's a rhythm, right? It's, it, um, he, he speaks so beautifully about having had two vocations that that phrase he said I've, I feel privileged about having had two vocations and I thought what what a beautiful what a beautiful way of of putting it and um that they haven't um and his even his his conversation about how they, he tried to kind of marry the two together later but really that they kind of sat as, as two um and I um I thought yeah I thought that's interesting isn't it because music is in heaven it's one of the few things we know really about kind of our, our kind of eternal worldview is that we get to join in with that song of the angels and I um I was really struck by that um especially as somebody who's um not very musical I'd <laughs> 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 probably play the triangle if I tried <laughs> really hard <laughs> I remember at a, a Baptist Union council meeting a, a few years ago it must be five years ago now. Uh, Jeff was leading our times of, of worship and reflection during the council, and he used uh, the sort of musical metaphor of the cantus firmus, this sort of underlying melody. Uh, um, I've already probably shown that I don't understand it properly either, just in what I've said there. But it really struck me and actually became the basis of my Easter Sunday sermon that year because it's just what are the, the constant. Uh, rhythms and underlying things that don't go away and he played this piece of music uh, for us to reflect on and it was really moving and a really good connection I find music does often connect with me spiritually in a in a significant way all kinds of music I've had very profound experiences of God in in nightclubs as well as listening to amazing classical pieces but music does have a way of engaging with your the depths of your being that I find so wonderfully mysterious and important. Hmm. I find, um, I do find that's true of, of occasionally of a piece of music for me. I think because I'm, I'm so very unmusical in many ways, for me it's poetry that does that because okay. I think it's the point where um, it connects the words with the feelings. And I think that for me, uh, a, a lot of my work in preaching and a lot of my own just general attempt to try and connect my life together is about trying to connect the words with the feelings um and and so for me poetry is the gift um perhaps much more so than um the music i i've i've been really interested as we've not had music in church we've not been able to sing you know we obviously had music in church but we've not been able to sing in church when we've been in person there's been a huge level of conversation around that 
and what does music bring? And there's clearly a huge amount of loss for a lot of people that they can't sing together. And um, I, I'm going to whisper this really quietly, but I, I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> I, I just, sh- but I, I did, and I, um, I'm part at the moment part of quite a liturgical church that uses the same words every week, so. I really loved those. I loved the fact that I didn't have to keep small children quiet and still through extra amount of time. And um, and I just, um, yeah, I quite, I quite enjoyed the fact that I can't really join in music because I'm not musical enough to join in the singing. So, so it sort of happens around me anyway. So actually kind of, for me, it was, it was a bit of a gift. Um, but, I'd, I then, but then we did sing on Easter Sunday outside and um it was this hugely amazing moment having not sung for so long so so i think it does have a huge power it's not a power i fully understand uh and perhaps i'm resistant to sometimes because i'm not able to control it and inform it and yeah but it's um it's an interesting one isn't it that um i was really struck when i was listening and um, that barbara brown taylor once said um something uh about um, there were those people who have a something and a ministry and those people who just have a ministry and those people who have a something and a ministry are the people who survive the ministries. And I was really struck by um, the conversation with Jeff that obviously has music and the ministry. And he then talked about all the other things he'd had alongside ministry that he'd done, the counselling work and the, all the other things that he thought about, um, the Enneagram. You know, um, I, he didn't mention baking. Um, did he? Like, no, um, no, we didn't touch I, on baking, but he's very good. I and I suddenly thought, like, I, I mean, the thing I really know about Jeff is he bakes, right? Like, he really yep. bakes. Um, and um, and I was really struck by the fact that that Jeff's so wholehearted in the whole way he approaches the flavors of life and the rhythms of life in in all of it. You know, it's it's. Um, and I know I quite like baking, so perhaps that for me is the connection point here. But um, but there's kind of like actually there, there's there's the something and yeah, maybe that's the, maybe that's part of this real giftedness of what Jeff's bringing is is how these two things inform each other. Well, I, I work on the default that Barbara Brown Taylor is right, and then work backwards from there. So <laughs> I think that's a really good place. In fact, I think I have more books by her on my shelf than anybody else at all. There's, I don't think anything she's published that I don't have a copy of. Um, but I wonder if part of that reflection helps to answer the question that you had right, you know, the, the thing you were saying right at the beginning of how do you get to that sort of a place? Mm. And I think that wholehearted approach to life uh, is probably part of that. And uh, I confess that's not something I'm always very good at. Be yeah. Anyway, I just wonder if there's something in that. I think, I think too, I mean, his clear commitment to spirituality, I mean, mm. to the OBM that, he, you know, he's clearly key founder of, and then um, his own journey of Ignatian spirituality. I think, um, you know, he's so clearly a man who prays hard. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, it's not a works-based righteousness. I think um, Jeff is sort of graced with that, but I, I'm struck by it. I'm struck mm. by the depth of his prayer life. And um, I think it makes me think, how do I enhance mine? Um, it is challenging at times. We've both got small people, haven't we? And, and um, busy lives. And, and then 
um where where and how does that depth go into and I, I am having to remind myself that that Jeff is significantly older than me and I have got a lifetime to get there but um <laughs> I hope but maybe not I don't know um yeah he said he's talked about the Baptist um Baptist youth work that he was doing with music in, in 1988 and I thought oh yes the year I was born <laughs> <laughs> So I did think to myself, okay, you've got you've got a little bit of time to get as holy as Jeff. It's okay. You can work at it with obviously a workspace righteousness and but yeah, um maybe just I maybe just need to osmosis myself around some more holy people or something. That's the principle I work on. Just surround yourself with with good folks in the hope that something of that becomes uh, yours uh, by osmosis. I think that's good. And probably uh, a good place for me to say uh, that podcast is going out hopefully Friday and then we have a next one and next Friday you did the interview next week so I look forward to listening to that and but we are going to change the the way we do the blessing at the end aren't we because uh, even though you extolled the virtue of the chaos um, of us attempting to do this at the same time uh, I think we both agreed that this was one thing we might adjust slightly. Uh, so you're going to do the blessing uh, this time, I think, and then we'll say goodbye, and then it'll be on to on to next week. Absolutely, yeah. There is um, there's that there is a place for the Hogwarts School song, and it it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> the <particular> podcast. <laughs> so um, so let's let's go out. Um, and we we'd love to send you all out as you're listening. Um, and we hope this has been something that's really enriched you. So we we want to pray with you. Um, as Baptists together. Um, this blessing. Living God, enable us this day to be pilgrims and companions, committed to the way of Christ, faithful to the call of Christ discerning the mind of Christ, offering the welcome of Christ, growing in the likeness of Christ, engaging in the mission of Christ, in the world that belongs to Christ. Amen. 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 Beth, a pleasure as always. Speak to you next time. See you soon. Bye.